Okay, um, let's turn to the fourth chapter of Genesis. Then we'll, um, we'll pray and get started. <clears throat> Father in heaven, thank you for being with us through the day. Just grateful, Lord, for your presence and your leading and your care for every one of us. We are wonderfully blessed. You daily load us with benefits, and we're grateful. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, <clears throat> I want to mention a um, couple prayer requests for you to <clears throat> pray for through the next days. One, uh, Judy Bayless, those of you that know Judy, she had a uh, hip replacement Monday, and it seemed to go all right. Um, but then she has had, a, um, I wouldn't call it severe, but she's had a reaction to all the pain medications they've been giving her. And so they're keeping her over. She was supposed to go home Tuesday, and then then she had a lot of pain, so they kept her till day. We're going to send her home this morning. And then she had this reaction to... Um, allergic reaction to pain medication. So um, I sent her a text just before I came here. I haven't heard back yet when they may let her out. Um, but at any rate, <clears throat> um, pray for her. She does have a daughter-in-law, I think, coming from uh, Oregon who is going to stay with her, spend some time with her, um, and I think gets here today or tomorrow. So um it may work out that she was they the hospital wouldn't send her home to an empty house anyway but at any rate so pray for her then i don't know how detailed here because people you know we can misunderstand misunderstand diagnoses and so forth but um um doug christensen um <clears throat> Lori christensen's husband kylie um Christensen's father-in-law and Clark's dad <clears throat> um, was having some shortness of breath and so forth and so he's gone he uh, went into the hospital I believe it was last Wednesday or Thursday and they ran a bunch of tests on him and so forth and um, he has um, basically uh, congestive heart failure and he is just um, 67 or 68 he's been he's active he walks he's you know um there's some things i guess he can change diet wise and so forth but um it's it's a pretty um it's a serious case let's put it that way um and but it doesn't mean it's it's a hopeless case he's already feeling better they put him on some medication to strengthen the pumping you know just the oomph of your heart and that has helped um his heart rate has dropped which is good um but um it's <clears throat> don't know how much they'll be able to reverse if any so it's just kind of a little bit up in the air, but um, <clears throat> need to pray for him. Um, let's see. So if you'll just remember those, put them on your list, write, it, write them down or something, and just remember them. <clears throat> Genesis 4, 
three is, of course, the situation with the fall. All the different doctrines and teachings that we looked at um, last week. And then, you know, uh, the fourth chapter is, is a sad chapter. Sin begins to get traction. You understand what I mean? It starts to infect deeper. It twists society. It twists relationships. You have here the first murder. And you, you just have a steep downward trend into more and more moral chaos and depravity. Um, and we, what we really have here, this is the <clears throat> kind of ski slope down to the fall or down to the flood. Um, chapter 4 um, is made up of this first murder and so forth. And then you have some genealogies and you have more, more killings. And then you get into uh, chapter 6, which opens with God's description of the now the hearts of people. And there are three words he uses there. He said, uh, of the thoughts of the heart. He said, the whole earth is filled with violence. And the thoughts of everyone's uh, minds are, and it doesn't mean brains, it's your moral wheelhouse, are only evil all the time and unending it's it's a desperate case and so chapter 6 begins then the the slide towards the flood which takes up uh, what seven eight nine really um, <clears throat> and then we're close to the first ending with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Now, I don't know, we almost have to go verse by verse, but we'll do it quickly. And maybe last, la last week um, you did better on questions. I think we might keep up a steady, quicker pace going through, and then we'll open it up for um, any questions when we, when we get to the end. <clears throat> so Adam, now <clears throat> in um, chapter 4, Adam and Eve, and notice here, I'm reading from the New American Standard. Eve, it says, conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have gotten a man-child with the help of the Lord. Again, she gave birth to his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of flocks, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Um, just a little... Um, language thing here, it seems almost certain that the wording here points to Cain and Abel being twins. Because every other place it will say so-and-so, you know, conceived and begat so-and-so, and so-and-so -and -so begat so-and-so. Um, there isn't that kind of language with Abel. It literally just says, um, 
and she went ahead and gave birth. It's, it's a, there's a clear implication that this was a twin. So right after giving birth to Cain, she gave birth to Abel. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, <clears throat> you have these two different um, lifestyles. Keep her flocks. Um, so Abel was a rancher, Cain was a farmer, okay? Came about in the course of time that Cain brought an offering to the Lord of the fruit of the ground. Makes sense. He's, he raises crops. As the crops came in, he harvested them. And at a point in time, in an act of um, acknowledgement and gratitude, he offers um, fruits of the field. At the same time, Abel, who's raising uh, sheep and so forth, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Okay, we have two things here. One, the question is, what about those two separate offerings um, had such a different reaction from the Lord? And then, how was that acceptance and non-acceptance conveyed? How did they know God didn't accept Cain's, but he did accept Abel's? Some of this is little speculation, but um, <clears throat> anybody have any idea what made God disregard Cain's offering and accept Abel's? Pardon me? Okay, and you've, you've brought up another excellent um, inference. The inference is that we're not told when, but clearly um, there'd been, I think, fairly detailed instructions given to Adam, Eve, and they passed them on, I'm assuming, to Cain and Abel um, as to this, the sacrificial system. Um, and so it was, it wouldn't be as sophisticated and complex as it was in Moses' day, but there was clearly enough there that they, they knew what was acceptable and the order and the hierarchy and so forth. Tom. And even though forget that God did the first sacrifice. Exactly. You know, and they probably had a long conversation. We go from Cain is born to they're old enough to work the field. Yeah. 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 So their their awareness. Um, well, we know from God's reaction, who never condemns someone who doesn't know. He he rec he acknowledged that um, they were or Cain at least was not performing what he knew um, he was required to do. Now, there's another little language things here. Um, <clears throat> 
we go up to, um, well, um, we'll just stick for now to verse 4. Um, there's an, also an implication here that Abel brought two sacrifices. And I'll get to that in just a second. Cain brought one. Now, we have to look even up into the New Testament, specifically the book of Hebrews, which talks about, and it uses the plural. It said Abel's gifts, his sacrifices, um, were pleasing to the Lord. And God bore witness to him that his gifts were accepted. Okay? Um, the belief of a lot of people is that Cain or Abel brought a lamb or you know something from the flocks in addition to um, what became, by the way, that was considered a blood offering. And a grain offering was considered a thank offering or a gratitude offering, okay? Um, so Cain apparently brought a thank you offering Abel brought a, I need atonement, I need redemption, um, I, I need God's atonement, plus a thank offering. Okay? Um, basically, Cain was, um, let's put it this way, Cain was a liberal Protestant. Cain was a mainline Protestant. He was a good Methodist, uh, Episcopalian, Presbyterian USA, uh, Evangelical Lutheran. That's what he would have been a good member of. Because Cain essentially, while well, he never, that we know, spoke these words, he assumed and he acted as if the basic goodness of man. So he doesn't need a sin offering. He doesn't need a blood offering. That implies acknowledgement of sin, acknowledgement of guilt, and a clear acknowledgement of the need of redemption, forgiveness, covering. Okay? Um, and of course, we know that through the entire age of the world until Jesus, the offerings of blood sacrifices were continual. The, the New Testament speaks much of the fact that they were daily offered up as a covering. But when Christ came, his sacrifices once and for all, he doesn't need to be offered up. However, Jesus teaches us that in the Lord's Prayer, or through the Lord's Prayer. There is the, and, and here we have to be, we have to be careful lest we, we butt heads with other verses of Scripture. Um, Jesus says, and it's assumed the, the, maybe not the exact words, but the form of the Lord's Prayer, the basic principles and um, subjects of the Lord's Prayer are a daily, continual occurrence. Give us our daily bread. Now that's not just food, that's grace and strength and so forth. 
But he also says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, what's he talking about there? Is, um, yes, the sacrifice of Jesus has only been made once, but I need to appeal to it and apply its benefits daily. Okay, now, but here's where we have to be careful. Everywhere, literally, in the New Testament, and for that matter, in the Old, willful, deliberate, knowing, intentional disobedience of the known will of God is, will sever me unless it's repented of. That's one kind of hamartia, the Greek word for missing the mark. The other kind of missing, there's the missing of the mark because you do it on purpose. That requires thorough repentance and forgiveness. There is the failings, shortcomings, infirmities, flaws that can themselves not only be um, contrary to the will of the Lord, but can harm other people, but are not of the same severity as, well, the Old Testament, King James uses the term of one or two places, high-handed sin, which is uh, to God. I know exactly what I'm supposed to do or not do, I'm doing it anyway. Um, the, it's similar to this. If I walk over here, <clears throat> and our, our laws even recognize this, secular law. If I walk over here and I just stomp on Gary's foot, and then I grind it a little bit, then I walk past and I go over here to Shane and I just kind of trip and end up kicking him in the shins. Those are two separate incidents that are treated separately. The one was intentional. I meant to inflict harm. The other was an accident. The other is a, uh, a result of flaw, failing, shortcoming. Okay? Jesus really calls that out clearly when he accused the Pharisees of being blind. And he said, you're blind leaders of the blind. And they said, we're not blind. We know, we know everything. He said, if you had, he said, therefore, your sin remains. You're still guilty. Why? because you claim you know. And then he said this, if you did not know, you would have no sin. It wouldn't be counted as deliberate, willful disobedience of God if you didn't know. Tells us then that God doesn't um, attribute to us the kind of guilt that will damn my soul if not taken care of for accidental, unknown, unintentional failings and shortcomings of the, of the law of God, okay? We have to distinguish between that. We have to understand that. Um, or the devil will accuse us to death. Um, now, what do we do then if something is just unintentional uh, is involuntary. Um, if I walk by and and 
just totally accidentally, I step on Gary's foot. What do I say? I don't say anything to him because I didn't mean it. No. Well, I shouldn't have to apologize. I didn't mean it. No. It, I stepped on his foot. Okay. I may have harmed him. I may have hurt him. Um, I still need to say, I still need to repent. I still need to say, I'm sorry. Excuse me, please, pardon me, we'll say. Um, we can go ahead and say we didn't mean it. Um, and that should settle it. Um, but we do have to acknowledge a failing, even though it wasn't intentional. The Old Testament, the book of Leviticus, has a whole system of sacrifices for what it calls unknown or unintentional sin. That's when you discover later that you did something, said something, some way, um, maybe grieved a person, whatever. Um, you apologize, okay? Um, but we all understand the difference between knowing intentional and unintentional and unknown, sometimes even unknown, okay? Secular law does it. You can even end up with a death resulting of an action that you commit, but there are no charges. There's consequences. There may be civil consequences, and of course they will be the consequence. I knew a pastor. I had a pastor that... Um, my conference when I was a superintendent that had um, was on a farm farmed and his younger days before he went into the ministry had backed over his little two-year-old boy with a grain truck and killed him uh, never left him obviously no one charged him with anything um, he didn't even know he was there he was he just got out you know, from the house and nobody knew it. I mean, it was just a tragic, tragic accident. Um, it would have been a travesty of justice to charge him. Um, so we recognize that. And that comes from English common law, which comes from the Bible. Um, we recognize that intent is a major factor. Well, what you have here is Abel's regular giving of a blood offering for covering for anything falling short of the perfect law of God. But Cain refuses to acknowledge the need of that. So he doesn't need atonement. He has nothing to be forgiven for, nothing to be covered. So he just brings a grain offering. Hey, God, you and me are, you know. And that's why God refused it. Because he approached him. You know, I think a good thing for us to pray is um, to tell God, Lord, I am approaching your throne today through Jesus Christ. He's the only way, only access to your throne 
and we have no merit of our own, but he does. And through faith in him and his atonement and his representation of us before the throne, we therefore, through Jesus, have access to the very throne of God. It's right that we acknowledge um, that we can't just sort of saunter into God's throne room. Um, we are unworthy of that, except for Jesus. And through Jesus, we have access. Cain, then, tried to do an end run around the need for atonement and a, a, a high priest um, and just showed up. Abel didn't. Now, <clears throat> no one knows for sure. Probably some of the possible best, um, what, speculation is from other places in Scripture, how do we, how was it conveyed that God accepted a sacrifice, accepted an offering? Anybody want to hazard a guess? I think some of you, you'll, you'll, you'll know it as soon as, if you don't, if somebody here doesn't answer it, and I give you the answer. fire from heaven um, there's frequent places where um, of course the famous one is Elijah on top of Mount Carmel but it's I think it's very interesting that when um, when the tabernacle was completely furnished set up and it the first day of worship uh, at the temple they put the sacrifice, um, the lamb or whatever it was, on the br brass altar, and no fire. And they prayed, and fire fell from heaven, and it was God's fire that kindled that fire on the brass altar that was supposed to never be allowed to go out. And so from then on, how many ever years the fire the coals they preserved for the next morning were started by God um, and if you remember the two son two of the sons of Aaron Nadab and Abihu um, they offered an offering early on it was not long after the beginning of the tabernacle sacrifices they offered what the Bible calls um, strange fire and fire came out from the presence of the Lord and burned both of them up and God told Aaron I don't even don't you even bawl about it don't you mourn don't you do anything you go you you do your daily rituals in the temple tabernacle today and you don't take your says you don't bear your head you don't take your hat off you because I'm right they're wrong what does strange fire mean um, in some sense they must have they must have used a Bic lighter but it was their own fire 
It wasn't God's. And so for that, I mean, he, they, were, they were incinerated on the spot. Now, one little side note. I do wonder sometimes in that context, the very next paragraph, after that smoke clears from that deal, um, the Lord told Moses, tell Aaron and anybody that approaches the throne, approaches the, the altars to do anything, don't be drinking strong drink. Now, I don't know, maybe Nadab and Abihu had knocked back a few. <clears throat> you know, they, they had what we have nowadays, you know, um, what? Brewery, uh, brews and Bibles, you know, where we go have a Bible study down at the tavern. And we're cool dudes. I don't know if Nadab and Abihu did that or not. But at any rate, I think it, it's kind of interesting that what happened to them and then the, the instruction, don't drink strong drink when you're, you know, then, and come to my altar. Um, I don't know. But at any rate, um, you have a number of places, though, where fire fell from heaven, and that was the, the, the clear sign of God's approval of that offering. So it's probably likely that the fire from the Lord fell on Abel's offering, not on Cain's. And so Cain is immediately humiliated. He's the oldest son. And this is his younger brother, even if it's 30 minutes or whatever. And he's humiliated and he's mad and envious. And you have then the first murder, okay? Um, but I think the conversation that the Lord has with Cain is interesting too. Cain be very, became very angry. His countenance fell. <clears throat> then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry and why is your countenance fallen? What does countenance fallen or your countenance fell mean? Anybody know? Pardon me? Okay, he was in a funk. Okay. Um, other, any, any other comments? Pardon me? Okay, any others? Who? Yeah. That was, that was my, that would probably be my first choice. He was, <laughs> you know, I'm hurt. And, and I don't know what about my parents, but there's one thing they would not tolerate, I mean for a tenth of a second, was pouting. Boy, it was sweeten up now um, or we got it again and you know when we got spanked good first of all there was never any question as to whether you got spanked you know what I mean um, <laughs> my dad my dad's phrase is you do that again or you know whatever he says you won't sit down he says you won't be you won't be able to sit down for 30 days um, now he never did that to us but um, th we we didn't have to debate whether we got a spanking or not we were fully aware yes that was the spanking um, and then you cried for not very long and then you can tell 
Um, when you get past the genuine crying because it hurt to the <laughs> boy, the door, bedroom door would open, or if the bedroom door was, knock it off. You've you cried legitimately enough. Knock it off. I I somehow I picked up from that. Ball babying, pouting, self pity sends me into orbit. Um, and that's really what Cain was doing here. He was feeling sorry for himself, which was blaming God, blaming everybody. It's not fair. Um, and there's, there's the further extension of what was borne out in the fact that he refused to bring a blood offering in the first place. There's nothing wrong with me. He was a narcissist. Okay? Now, so, <clears throat> this conversation is interesting. God says, why are you angry? Why is your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay? Now, I think King James versus every version um, I've always felt, and I'm not some Hebrew scholar, but I've always felt that that verse never made any sense. Okay? Um, and some of the better translations, I think, say this. First of all, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? In other words, God's saying, listen, this is fixable. Just straighten up, quit pouting. Honor, uh, acknowledge your need of a blood offering and bring it, and it'll be okay. Quit prolonging this. Then he says, if you don't do well, which is what he hadn't done well, he says this, sin is crouching at the door, and its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay. Other, what I consider to be far better translations, say, if you don't do well, Sin is at the door. What does he mean by that? The very same word that's translated here for sin, that they've translated sin, is all through the Old Testament and the New. Translated, sin offering. You remember there in the New Testament, Jesus, it says, was made sin for us. Well, what does he really mean there? He means a sin offering. So here... He's simply saying this. You've got a sin offering an arm's length away. All you have to do is do the right thing, which you didn't do in the first place, but you have the opportunity to make it right. There's a sin offering right at the door. Settle this with God and go on. Then, people put a period there, and his desire is or will be for you, and you will master him. Talking about one of the core reasons for Cain's anger, envy, and pouting is that he seemingly was um, leapfrogged over by Abel. So his younger brother was now superior to him. And God is saying, even on that score, if you do the right thing, offer the sin offering that he did and that you should, you will be 
the, the leading son, you will, it's, it's the same thing with Esau and Jacob. It's a similar kind of a thing. So I think to me, that makes so much more sense. If you just make it right, there's a sin offering, a lamb available at the door, you can settle this thing, and then what you're so irritated about will be reversed, and you will have the headship over your younger brother. Now that, to me, makes better sense than the rest of this. Now, eight, Cain, it says, told Abel his brother, period. Um, Other versions just say, Cain spoke to Abel his brother. The Jews have a tradition, which is not in the scripture, that they that they have kind of written out a supposed conversation that took place between Cain and Abel in which Cain says, let's go out into the field and, and visit or, you know, maybe talk this thing over. I don't, it's not in the scripture, so. But at any rate, um, <clears throat> so they spoke. Came about when they were out in the field. Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord, of course, sees all of it, said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? This, there, uh, you know, if, if we compare, and there's some comparison here, there's parallel here, with God's questioning of Adam and Eve. What have you done? Where are you guys? Um, did you eat of the tree? Here, there is a, there's a snarky, um, disrespectful irreverence out of Cain that I don't think we hardly really got out of Adam and Eve. Um, first of all, they, of course, deflected it to each other, but they didn't deny that they did anything. Here, when God says, where's your brothers? I don't know. And then he's got to be smart. Am I my brother's keeper? I mean... Yeah, you know what? Do you remember the old Hank Williams Jr. song about an attitude adjustment? <laughs> That's what Cain needed. Um, <clears throat> anyway, and God said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. Now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. This, so he cursed the ground for Cain, which had already been cursed. Remember, he cursed it for Adam. He said, it won't yield its strength, and it's going to yield briars and brambles and weeds, and you're going to fight in the sweat of your brow you're going to eat. That already cursed ground for Cain is made even worse. You will, basically, you'll wander, I think you'll end up not even being able to farm. Um, And then Cain says to him, 13, my punishment is too great to bear. Behold, you've driven me this day from the face of the ground, and from your face I will be hidden, and I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Now, explain the last line. Whoever finds me will kill me. 
I, I can't win here. Um, now, again, he's still feeling sorry for himself, and he thinks the punishment is bad. Um, but if we even for a moment want to look at Cain's, from Cain's standpoint, um, he's lost his, you know, he, he's, he's not going to have a way to earn a living. And it seems maybe a streak of decency in him that it bothered him that he would be cut off from God's face. And then he says, even worse than that, no matter where I go, whoever I meet is going to kill me. What's, what's that last that he says is more than I can bear? What's that all about? Anybody have any idea? First of all, we have to remember, and I'm, I know I'm talking to a group of people from whom there will never come, um, I, I would hope, the nitwit question, um, you know, where did Cain's wife come from? Um, look, there, we don't know how many, we don't know how long, but, but Adam and Eve continued to have sons and daughters. We only have Cain and Abel here, and then we'll have Seth a bit later. But um, it's assumed, I think it's assumed, that Abel and Cain, I don't know for sure, but they're clearly adults if they are on their own career. They would have had children. Adam and Eve would, by that time, would have great-grandchildren or great-great-great-great-great-grandchildren. So um, the earth is being populated. Now, granted, um, they, were mar- they had to marry sisters, but you didn't, have, you didn't have any of the incest laws, nor did you have the genetic problems with inbreeding. Okay? So... They, they married, by this time it could have been, you know, cousins, I don't know. But nevertheless, there were plenty of people here. Now, what Cain is talking about is, a, this is another inference of knowledge of a law. And it's the law of the avenger of the murderer. That anybody who murdered um, <clears throat> somebody else... Let's say, um, you know, let's just say somebody, one of you here murders me, okay? We're back in the Old Testament. And um, somebody here murders me, okay? My next of kin, my brother, one of my sisters, or my children, or my wife, or whoever, has the moral and legal um, right to execute you and there's no guilt for it whatsoever there was not yet um, the complex judicial system that would see to your execution so the the next of kin carried out that execution um, on behalf of me who was murdered okay in Cain's case he's saying to the Lord I can't meet somebody that's not my relative so I can't dare meet anybody or they will have the right to kill me. So God responds and he says, 
I'll, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him seven times over. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. This is a sad verse. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. That's just sad. And he went, settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And the word Nod means wanderer, vagabond. And so even the land where he lived, um, he named after his condition. <clears throat> now, Cain, obviously, has a wife. She conceived, gave birth to Enoch. He built a city and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now you have a long list here of genealogies. We don't need to go into them. The only thing you'll notice is all of them are 800, 900, 950 years. You will get to Methuselah, who is 969 years. In verse 19, you have the first, um, the first person whose IQ was low enough that, <laughs> that he got two wives. Okay? <clears throat> Lamech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada and the name of the other, Zillah, okay? Um, talks about children that they had and some of the gifts that they had and the, what, the careers that they had. Um, and then we don't know what happens here, but in 23, Lamech says to his wives, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, give heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, here is another, um, either beginning of a law that was sort of in an embryonic state, or it was known, but this is self-defense here. Apparently, at least Lamech is saying he was attacked by someone. He fought back and killed his attacker. And on the basis of self-defense, then he should never have to pay a penalty for that death. And he's comparing it. He said, if Cain is not to be touched and he committed flat-out murder, surely I'm far more innocent than he is, and it should be 70 times 7 that someone would be punished if they uh, sought me out because I, this was a justified self-defense. We still have that. Now, <clears throat> um, 25, Eve, uh, Eve and Adam have Seth. And she says, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also a son was born. He called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Now, Seth um, is, we'll, we'll see something about Seth very shortly here. Um, but he's considered here, you know, a replacement of Abel. The Bible has huge praise for Abel. He's in the heroes of faith uh, in Hebrews. Um, that it says he brought a more he brought more excellent gifts than Cain and received 
favor from the Lord. Um, And so in this case, 1 John, speaking of Cain, says Cain was of that wicked one. Abel was the line through whom Jesus was to come. Cain killed Abel. Seth then took um, Abel's place and is in the line um, through whom Christ came. Um, so this, whether they knew that then, you know, I don't know. I've read some commentators who felt like maybe Cain, being the firstborn, was supposed to be the one through whom the one who would bruise the head of the serpent would come. I don't know if they knew that much then at all. But at any rate, somehow God knew, of course, and Seth becomes a replacement for Abel through whom Christ would come. Then that last verse um, in those days, then, then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Um, in, at least in my Bible, and there may be in yours, a footnote or you know, a, a column note um, that the word upon can also be translated by. Then men began, began to call themselves by the name of the Lord. Okay? Um, meaning a distinction became clear and necessary between those who retained worship of the Lord and those who didn't. So you have right here a hint of the beginning of not only a separation, but it seems that, um, and it is borne out in the next couple chapters, that the, those, of, those who called upon the name of the Lord and labeled themselves as followers of the Lord were a minority. And the majority grew to the point that two chapters later, you have the flood. And you only have eight people left that serve God. The rest were irredeemable. Okay? Now, um, let's just look a little bit here on five because there's a lot of five that's just genealogy. But this is a real um, critical verse. Verse 1 of 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam in the day when God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. He blessed them and named them man in the day when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness according to his image and named him Seth. Okay? Notice in the first verse, first few verses, you have God created them in his image, his likeness. Now you have Adam, who had originally been created in God's image and likeness, having a son, it says, in his, Adam's image and likeness. There is a critical, transparent verse of the new tragic reality of mankind being in a fallen image now, the image of Adam. Now just quickly before we open it up for some questions, this is the first Adam, okay? The first Adam, we are all 
not only Seth, and of course Cain and Abel, but Seth who's mentioned specifically, and all else, all of us. We now are born in Adam's image and likeness. No longer God's image and likeness in the sense of righteousness. Okay? That's why Paul uses the remarkable illustration of Jesus being the second Adam. The first Adam failed the test of holding steady to God's commands. They were tempted, they fell. The second Adam came without sin, just like Adam and Eve when they were first tempted were without sin. The second Adam was tempted too, but he didn't yield. So he came then to set up a, another race, another people to be absorbed into. So the call of the gospel everywhere is to every one of us who look like in our moral image the first Adam. Get out of that race and by faith be transferred into the second Adam's kingdom and family so that our likeness now is restored to what the first Adam's was before he fell. That's simple, but really profound. We are then, every one of us, every human being in this world is a member of one of only two families. We're either in the first Adam's family, and that's the case with everybody. We're born into the world in the first Adam's family. Sometime before we die, we got to get out of that family and get into a new race, the race of the second Adam. That's pretty simple. Okay. Um. <clears throat> Four on, you have some comments and so forth, but generally you have more genealogy um, through Seth. And um, you get down to, well, 21, you have Enoch. Um, Enoch lived 65 years, became the father of Methuselah. Enoch walked with God 300 years after became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He and Elijah were the only two humans who didn't die to get out of here. Elijah was carried to heaven in a chariot of fire and didn't go through death, neither did Enoch. And there's something here too. Um, Enoch was so godly, and there's that great little phrase, he walked with God, so much so that God took him. Yet what else do we know what else do we know about Enoch? 
He was married and had kids. So you must be able to have religion and be married and have kids and put up with kids. <laughs> um, not, not, and I'm not here to take a, you know, take an unnecessary dig at the Catholics, but the whole notion that marriage and so forth is somehow lower spiritual status is nonsense. Because Enoch, Enoch had, we don't know how many kids he had, and at least had one wife. We don't know if she, we don't know. She died and he remarried, who knows? But the point is, um, the notion that um, celibacy, the priesthood, and all these kinds of things are a more godly standard um, is, not, is just not biblical. And it does tell us, too, that even with a wife and kids, <laughs> you can still, hopefully, make it to heaven. Okay? They may hinder you quite a bit, um, but you can still make it. Okay? Um, <clears throat> now, we're not going to read the rest of the chapter, but you get down to um, Lamech. This is another Lamech. Um, in 30, he lived 595 years after he became the father of Noah. And he had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Lamech were 777 years, and he died. Um, he ended up, if you figure it out, he died five years before the flood. And Noah was 500 years old, and Noah became the father of Shem, Ham, and Japheth. That's the end of five, and we'll quit there. Um, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Japheth was the firstborn, but he was not counted that in the normal um, repetition of their names. Neither was Ham. Ham, um, Shem was through whom Christ came. And Shem is where we get the term Semite um, from Shem. So um, he is always named first, even though he wasn't firstborn. And he's the ultimate uh, in the much in the future, the father of um, the people of Israel. Shem, if I remember, I figured this out once. I think that I think that Shem was still living um, I better be careful here, but Shem was still living when Jacob was a little kid. So he lived a long time into post-flood era um, and overlapped a bit with Abraham. So um, at any rate, that leads us to six where the picture shifts and you have the Lord talking about how dreadful things have become morally. And I think it's interesting that he says the whole earth was filled with violence. You know, it wasn't necessarily drugs, um, pornography. I'm sure all that was there. But he singles out is filled with violence, which we're seeing in the breakdown of our culture today. All the vices are there. But violence seems to be it's head and shoulders above everything else. Um, this is what typified those days.
Okay, questions, whatever. It's 7.59, so we're okay time-wise. Anybody got any? Tom. Yeah. You know, <clears throat> if you didn't hear him, some people thinking Abel could be a type of Christ. I've read and heard the same thing. I, I don't know but what there's something to that. Um, and you know, Jesus said, surely, oh, and he said this in the shadow of his own death, that God would bring on this generation all the blood from righteous Abel clear up to Zechariah who was stoned between the altar and the porch and the you know, altar. Um, yeah, I, th I don't think that's a... Yeah, yeah. Somebody else I thought, yeah. <clears throat> An illustration. Um, I think that there are in some ways, there are several different... Um, Moses essentially made himself a bit of a type. He said, there's a prophet that will rise like unto me. You better listen to him. Isaac sacrificing his son. Isaac sa yes. Isaac is... You know, Abraham sacrificing Isaac is a wonderful type. And the, the tradition is, and it seems, that it's very likely that at least the site of the temple, and some people think even the site of the crucifixion, was on Mount Moriah where, you know, you have... And the wording there um, is when they find the ram caught in the thicket and don't offer up Isaac. You know, he says, um, I'll offer up him instead. And Jesus is instead of us. So... Um, Another illustration, I think another parallel um, that Jesus seems to indicate partially, um, Elijah and Elisha and G John the Baptist and Jesus. John the Baptist, and he says, John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah. And Elijah, you know, was rough and, and um, boy, he, he nailed people's hides to the wall. Elisha was peaceful and did much more and much of what he did was similar to what Jesus did multiplied food raised people from the dead um, and most of Elijah's were, was striking people dead burning people up and, and so forth um, more similar to John the Baptist but okay Mike Yeah. Yeah. And some of those, um, <clears throat> what you have, what I think we all have to remember is the whole concept that underlies all of revelation is progressive revelation. There are, there's new light that is given as we move through time, move through the old into the new. Jesus is the ultimate revelation and light 
And so there are things that were um, permitted in the Old Testament, rather brutal things it seems, um, that God giving more light, slavery's one of them, I think, um, that is done away with, but the whole business of vengeance um, is tempered greatly when you get to the New Testament. Um, and so a lot of people, of course, will then look at the old and the new and say, well, um, you know, God's contradictory and he contradicts himself. No, it's progressive revelation. We have more light. Polygamy. You know, he put up with polygamy for a while. Um, but Jesus made it clear um, that from the beginning it was not so. Um, so <clears throat> it, it brings about, it, it's brought about because of the darkness of sin. And I think the, I think the um, world history progressive revelation, which is the Bible, is a macro uh, illustration of um, the micro illustration or, or pattern that we have as individuals. We go through a process of progressive revelation. We don't have very much light. Um, I had a conversation with a dear girl the other day, um, early 30s. Life's a total mess. Um, and I asked her, I said, you know what, what do you know about the Lord and about, you know, things of God, the gospel and all that. She had a couple of years at the most that she could remember of Jehovah's Witness. And then her parents got crossways somehow with the Jehovah's Witness who, this is very typical, I mean, they'll cut your throat if you cross them. And you're banned you know, from the windowless building that they all meet in. And you've never been to church again. The dear little soul doesn't know a thing, nothing. But I know, you know, if she'll begin to come to church, read the Bible, God will start with her the process of progressive revelation and begin to give her more light and more light. And if you walk in it, he gives you more until you see what I need to do. Um, so the pattern that we see from Old to New Testament is, is a pattern that each of us go through, really, till we have enough light to then we're responsible. Okay, anything else? Go ahead and read, um, <clears throat> read six. Maybe just read through the flood. Um, <clears throat> And then we'll get to, um, I'm thinking that, see, where are we? We're in October. Um, we, should, we should be done with the first 11 chapters here fairly soon. And then what we vote on second? What was the second vote getting? Um, was it Christian ethics? Okay. So when we get to the end of um, chapter 11, we should be, I don't know, another three, four weeks, five weeks. Um, maybe it'll be around Thanksgiving or we might even go up till 
Christmas break, and then we'll start on Christian ethics, okay? All right, well, let's bow our heads, and we'll dismiss with prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the light that you give us. It is sometimes hard for us to even know what it must be like to have no knowledge of your word. I'm grateful for living in a country where we have ample resources. And if we want them, we can know God and we can know your word. And so, Lord, we're much privileged. I pray that you would continue to give us light and understanding as we study your word. Go with us. Keep us safe, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you are dismissed.